The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. The book Black Hawk Down, later turned into a movie by the same name, tells the gripping story of an American military endeavor in Mogadishu, Somalia. An American force of largely army rangers was dispatched to capture and take into custody a group of important warlords who were meeting in a downtown hotel. Now this morning raid was expected to be easy and quick. And so many of the men did not take along things that they would usually pack for a standard mission. Things like extra water or ammunition or night vision goggles. And reportedly, some even took out, removed a few of the armor plates from their protective vests. The plates were cumbersome, and nobody expected to do any fighting that day. Unfortunately, that's not how things turned out. And more than one man wished that he had taken the time to become fully prepared for battle that day. As we come now to the end of Ephesians, we see that Paul has similar concern for us, that you and I would be today and every day fully prepared for battle. Several weeks ago, while discussing the last of the sections on worthy walking, I mentioned that if you looked at the book of Ephesians as like a plane ride, that we had been at cruising altitude for several chapters back at that point, but that Paul was shortly going to begin his descent toward landing. Well, now at this point this morning in chapter 6, if we look at verses 10 to 16, we'll find that the descent is over and Paul is about to touch down. He's already worked through the five aspects of worthy, suitable walking. He's worked through the three common, ordinary authority structures in human relationships. He's passed through those and the runway is rushing up at him now. Paul's about finished. We only have two more times in the book of Ephesians, and one of those is largely an overview. So he's almost done. This is the last main piece here, this and next week, the last main piece. And right here at the end of the book, in the place of prominence, he's placed this, this piece that some argue is actually the pinnacle of the whole book. The point of why he wrote this letter to the Ephesians. And there are so many ties between verses 10 and 20 here in chapter 6 and the previous five and a half chapters, that there's something to that. There are a lot of connections here. Now, he's not just going to list off all the things he's talked about. He's not going to say, you know, I mentioned this and this and this and this, so let's close in prayer. He's not giving that simple of a summary. Rather, what he's doing here is he's taking ideas and words and themes and concepts, and he's reshaping them, he's repackaging them into this very memorable image of an ancient soldier dressed for battle. That's what he's working on here. And through it all, he's trying to communicate this main point. It's the main point. God has provided strengthening armor amidst the great battle. Put it on. God has provided for you amidst the great spiritual battle that you are engaged in, he has provided for you strengthening spiritual armor. So put it on. 
It's the main point. That's what he's getting at here. In this week and really in next week's passage as well because they are interconnected. That's what he's getting at. You, Christian, are in a battle and you need to stand resolute amidst that battle. And God has given you what you need. If you want to stand, you need the strength or the armor that will equip you to stand victorious in this fight. You know, this is a very familiar passage to a lot of us. And as, to be honest, before I studied it this time, I've often thought of this section of the armor as kind of like a unique additional thing tacked on here at the end of the book. But it's not really. It is a summary. He's drawing many things together here. God has provided what you need. We've been looking at a lot of it already. Your job, the command to you in a couple of different ways this morning, your job is to put on what He has provided. He says, here's the armor. Put it on if you want to stand. It's the main thought developed in 10 to 16. And it's developed in three stages this morning. And that's where we're going to go this morning. But first let me read the passage. I'm going to begin in verse 10. And I'm going to read, because the passages are connected, I'm going to read into next week's section. I'm going to read to the middle of verse 18 where the English Standard Version puts a period to end the sentence. Because they're related, I'm going to reach ahead a little bit and next week I'll reach back a little bit. So let me read Ephesians chapter 6, beginning verse 10 through the middle of 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. The first stage in this closing argument of Paul's is the command where he kind of gets the idea on the table. It's his first stage, be strengthened in the Lord by means of his armor. Be strengthened in the Lord by means of his armor. We, the body of Christ corporately, but you individually, Christian, you need to be strengthened, to be strong. Verse 10, be strong, that is, and I like this definition here, summon up vigor and valor. Call forth and put out energy. This is not a let's sit back on the couch and see how things turn out sort of sentence. It's a command to you, and in light of where the next few verses go, we should look at this command as through the eyes of a warrior. As, as if the, el the elders of Israel were commanding Joshua about to attack the promised land. 
Like commanders throughout all the ages have stirred the hearts of their soldiers before battle. Be strong and courageous. Rise up. Look at the battle and be strong. It's the command to you. Get the idea. However, we would misunderstand Paul, badly misunderstand him, if we took this command and turned it entirely into a summoning up of our own personal strength and courage. Both the grammar of the command and the rest of the verse itself point us away from such self-focus. Consider the grammar first. Be strong. It's a command to you. But it's another one of those passive commands that we've looked at before. It's a command to you, be strong, but somebody else has to do the strengthening. Remember how we introduced that be hit by the ball back in chapter 4? You be hit, but somebody else has to do the hitting. Well, the same thing is going on here. You be strong, but someone else has to do the strengthening. Ultimately, we do not strengthen ourselves. We don't just reach inside and summon up our own vigor and valor. It doesn't come from there. So how exactly are we to be strengthened? That's where the rest of verse 10 comes in. The full command to us is be strong or be strengthened in the Lord. That is, in the strength of His might. We are strengthened only in the Lord. Specifically in and by the Lord Jesus' supernatural strength. He has vast might. There is no limit to his ability to do any and everything which he might want to do. Our risen and exalted Christ reigns in omnipotence. Chapter 1 talks about this. He is seated at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. That's a good thing because those guys are going to come up again here in just a minute. He sits seated reigning over all of them full of might. He has strength in himself, untold power. Oh, may God open our eyes to see the greatness of his power towards us who believe. Paul's prayer in chapter 1. Then in chapter 3, Father in heaven, would you graciously grant us to be strengthened with power through your spirit in our inner beings that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. He's praying, God, strengthen them with power through the spirit. Bring it to pass, Lord. You do it. Twice Paul prays this because he's talking to the one who has to do it, God. And then here he commands us passively to seek it out, to go get it. God has vast power to strengthen you. And he will take up the task to do so. He will. The command to you is not to make yourself strong it is to cooperate in any and every way with God's strengthening work in you. Well, how is this work carried out? We've talked about this before. I just said it when I quoted chapter 3, verse 16. Strengthened with power through His Spirit in our inner beings. The Spirit of God does this. So we cooperate by giving Him the keys to our inner being and giving Him the tools that He needs to work with, the Scriptures. We say to him, we obey this command by saying, Spirit, come. I give you myself. I lay down in front of you, humble and submitted. Take this book and drive it into me, please, Spirit. Show me God in it. Change me with it, please. Strengthen me for the battle. 
until you obey this command. You come to the one who does it humbly, seeking him out. You come with that kind of attitude and he will respond. And part of how he'll respond is the issue to you, the command in verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God. The second command is just an elaboration on or a clarification of the first command. The Spirit will strengthen me how? Well, in conjunction with me putting on this armor. Or, to put it as if it's in God's words and a response from God, as if He says, You come to me, says God. You come to me, and I will indeed, indeed wield my power to strengthen you. Here, here's some armor that you need. Put it on, and you'll be strengthened. The armor itself is not described until later. Right now, we're just focusing on the command. Be strengthened in the Lord by means of His armor. By means of His armor. What I want you to see here in this first stage is that He's, he's focusing on this command, and what, what you see is that you need to be strengthened. You've got to long for that in your heart. It's got to grip you. God commands you. He, he tells you to seek this out, and then He passively tells you that you can't do it. So He's trying to motivate you, and I'm trying to motivate you to go to Him and say, Help! Do this in me. He intends to prepare you for battle by putting you in this armor. That's the means He will employ. He will strengthen you in this way. It's His answer to Paul's prayers for you. It's His answer to your prayers for you. God will strengthen you by putting you in this armor. And we also previously just saw that God will strengthen us by the Spirit working in you to make you Christ's home. God will strengthen you by putting you in this armor. God will strengthen you by the Spirit working in you to make you Christ's home. Connect the dots here. These are the same things. We'll see a little more of this in the third stage this morning. The putting on of the armor and the Spirit working in you to make you Christ's home, they're the same. We're going to come to that. But at this point, Paul's aim is that you would just long for it. That you would see it as critical and vital that you would obey it by going to Him. That you would put yourself in the way of grace and cry out to God, Hit me! Strengthen me! I need you! It's His hope. So He commands it here twice. But He knows us. He knows you. He knows me. He knows that in our fallen natures, we are highly prone to get up every morning and look at this day as just another ordinary day and not really expect to do any significant fighting today. So we're constantly not very motivated to fully prepare for battle. He wants to get you over that perspective. And so to try to help push that along and to change that so it brings him to his second stage. He's going to try to make you aware of the environment that you live in, day in, day out. Verse 11 transitions us out of the first stage, the command to be strengthened in the Lord by means of his armor, moves us out of that command. It really interrupts it because he's going to come back to that. It moves us out of the command and into the reason for the command. 
such strengthening with armor would seem to be at least a little bit of overkill if life really was essentially not much more than just weeding the garden and sipping lemonade and trying to maybe try to figure out how to get some time in there for some vacations around that busy schedule if that's what life really was if you were to if you were to say look over your fence and you saw your neighbor in his garden dressed for battle helmet on squirt bottle of weed be gone in hand you'd think he was crazy conversely if you went home tonight and turned on the nightly news and live from Fallujah Iraq they were interviewing a marine captain so and so and and as they're talking to captain so and so he's standing there in a Hawaiian shirt some shorts and some flip-flops you'd know he was crazy what's what's wrong with those two little images you've got two men whose attire what they're wearing does not match their environment the captain should be wearing the armor shouldn't he and the guy in the garden would do better with the flip-flops yes of course well here's the second stage of the passages argument you must be strengthened with spiritual armor because you are in a spiritual war zone that's where you are you are in a spiritual struggle day in day out you must be strengthened with spiritual armor remember the first stage the command there be strengthened in the Lord by putting on God's armor you must be constantly ceaselessly strengthened in this spiritual manner because of where you live because you wake up in you walk around and you lie down to sleep in a combat zone a spiritual war zone that's where you live and if you don't want to be killed or maimed you must put on the armor you must verse 11 put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil you heed this command to put on the armor that towards the end of for the purpose of standing this is not standing as opposed to sitting or standing as opposed to walking this is standing in a defensive military sense as in they took their stand on that hill or they stood against all attacks you are called to stand and if you're going to stand and not fall under this attack God in grace has given you armor and you must put it on and here at the second stage, Paul's trying to give you further motivation for that. To take him up on the command. He's trying to do that by making your situation clear to you, to us. We are in a battle. We must stand against the schemes of the devil. Our adversary. That's what his title means. Adversary. He is the opponent of, the enemy of God, and therefore of the people of God. He is who we fight against not flesh and blood people now, to be sure that the sons of disobedience are all still following the prince of the power of the air as chapter 2 tells us just like we used to just like we used to they're still captives to him to Satan taken captive to do his will Satan and his forces influence them and use them in a myriad of ways but verse 12 is reminding us Christian these other human beings are not the real enemy you are not to make war on them you are to treat them rather with gentleness 
and respect, maintaining a clear conscience in hope and in prayer that God would grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. The God of this world has blinded their eyes, keeping them from seeing the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ. Pray that that will be removed. Pray for them, serve them, love them, care for them, witness to them, but stand against and war against Satan. His rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, basically all the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's the real enemy, not the people around us. I'm sure Paul tells us that because we so often get confused. We fight the people that we see right in front of us and we forget what's really going on. Don't be deceived. Whatever a person is doing around you, whatever, however annoying they may be or sinful they may be or openly uh, antagonistic they may be, they are not the real enemy. Now we may have to. We may have to physically make war on the Hitlers of the world. We may feel compelled to vote against or protest various lawmakers or policies or things like that. That's possible and done justly, legally, that's all fine. That's not what I'm talking about. What this passage is urging on you is to not lose sight of the grand spiritual arena, the spiritual battlefield on which we live, and to not lose sight of the real enemy. This arena and these enemies have been a a recurring theme here in Ephesians. And as Paul is summarizing the letter, they come up again. They're not human. Note the contrast. It's not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, etc. They're not human. They're demonic beings who, for a time, have a certain amount of power. They are not physical. They live in the spirit realm, the heavenly places. We've talked about that before as well. It's not neither heaven nor hell proper. It's the spirit realm. But they affect the physical realm. We don't have to look any further than the Bible to know that. They can cause damage and and deception. They can actually possess non-believers. And they can hurt Christians too in a variety of different ways. They are the enemy. They are those against whom we wrestle and must stand. So that's who's facing us on the other side of the battlefield. If If you mentally put yourself on a battlefield... The guys lined up over there are the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places led by Satan himself. That's who's there. Paul wants you to remember that, to see it, to reckon it as true and to not forget it. So as I was studying this, I thought about that. I reminded myself of it. I tried to walk through my days thinking more consistently, there's another realm out there. It's hard to see, but it's just as real as my hand is. It's there. And as I tried to think about it, it was helpful. But to be honest, there was something that was still kind of missing. Something wasn't quite coming home to me. I was trying to think about this, and I realized that, okay, so I I realize now that I'm on this battlefield, and I'm reminding myself of that, and I'm with spiritual eyes, I'm seeing the enemy arrayed against me, and I'm seeing myself over here with the army of God. Okay, I got that. But what I realized is that what was missing is that I hadn't actually yet pondered what we were fighting about. Have you thought about that? 
Verse 11 says that the devil is scheming, devising plans against you. I bet you he knows what he's after. Do you? It's worth thinking about. I mean, on a, a real physical battlefield, the combatants at least have some basic idea about what the goal is. It helps them make decisions moment by moment in the fight. What's going on in this battle that we're engaged in? What are we fighting about? It's a war, so what's going on? Is there, is there the foes, is their primary goal to physically kill you? No. I mean, perhaps they might like to, but it's not what they're primarily after. Therefore, your primary goal is not to physically stay alive. They're not after your skin. They're after your heart. That's what they're shooting for. They're after you. They're, after, they're trying to conquer your heart and thereby diminish God's glory. Did you catch that? Ask, what is Satan after? What is he scheming for in regards to me? Ask that question and the answer is, he and his buddies are constantly trying to figure out how to pry your heart away from Christ. That's the goal of his attack on you. That's what I have to stand against. For me at least, I mean I kind of knew that, but as I thought this through, for me, putting that explicitly on the table was helpful. It made some things clear. It is a war that ultimately, from the very beginning, has been about the glory of God. Satan has been at war and attempting to tear down the glory of God. And so he aims his attacks at him through the creation and the primary creatures in creation, us, people. His attempt is to pry people away from God, now and forever, if he can. He's not trying to physically kill you as much as he is spiritually kill you. He'll kill you and take you to hell if he can. And if he can't do that, because you become a believer and you trust him genuinely, then at least he wants to spiritually cripple you, wound you, and your witness to such a degree that you are more of a liability than an asset to the kingdom of Christ. That's what he's after. It's a spiritual target of a spiritual attack made by spiritual foes in the spiritual realm. And so, therefore, verse 13, therefore, take up the whole spiritual armor of God so as to be strengthened against this attack. Essentially the same command as was in verse 11 form bookends to this section. Because we are in a spiritual war zone, we need spiritual strengthening. The spiritual armor of God. And as we take up this spiritual armor, and only as we take up this armor, we'll be equipped to withstand the spiritual attack and to stand against all attempts to pry our hearts away from Christ, to draw us after other gods, try to cause us to bow down to small things that will diminish God's glory and sow destruction into our own lives. Whenever the day of evil comes. See that phrase there in verse 13. Whenever that happens. We don't know when the particular attack from Satan will come. Who knows? It's like saying, because you live in a war zone, 
gear up so that you can effectively resist on the day of attack. We don't know if that's going to be Monday morning or Thursday evening or Saturday afternoon. Who knows? We don't know if this particular raid to try to capture these particular warlords is going to result in a battle or not. So gear up. Be ready. Always. The grammar of that command in verse 10, the, the, the head command, the grammar there implies that it is a constant thing. Be strengthened all the time. That's, a, that's what we need to do. Smart enemies, and Satan is a cunning enemy, smart enemies always seek to attack when their targets are least prepared. That's just how enemies think. So constantly, continually, be strengthened with his armor. Be vigilant. After you've put it all on, after you've done everything necessary, you put on all the armor in all the possible ways, then, whenever the attack comes, then you'll be able to stand. And you know what? What if today the attack doesn't come from Satan in particular? You'll still be well equipped then to resist the other problems that you have in life with your own fallen human self and the world around you that still tempts you to go astray. Put on the armor of God. Greater is he who is in you than he was in the world. Go to him. Seek him out. Cry to him for the spiritual strengthening. Pray. Ask him. This is what Paul's urging on you in a couple of different ways. It must happen if you want to stand. Consistently, it must happen. You have to do this. You are in a war zone. You are in danger. Please take him up in the command. Put on the armor. And the third stage finally comes to the point of beginning to explain what the armor is. The third stage is in verses 14 to 16. It's described a little bit and it becomes a little more clear how we are strengthened to stand. The next several verses and on into next week's passage are all describing an ancient soldier preparing for battle, gathering and putting on his armor and equipment just like we've been commanded to do. It's a memorable word picture, but what's it getting at? Here's the main point of the third stage. We are to be strengthened by pursuing sanctification. We are to be strengthened by pursuing sanctification. To go without it is to go without the armor that God provides and to be weak and vulnerable to attack. Verse 14, stand therefore, yet another reference, four times in this passage, the word stand or related word is used. He's he's really on to this. This time it's a command, stand therefore. You have to, if you're going to stand in the struggle, there are four things that have to already have happened. You can't be attacked and then decide to get ready. You've got to be ready before. There are four things there. Now, I'm not going to move through this point by point. I'm not going to look at all the different aspects here about what ancient armor looked like and how you put it on and how it was that a shield extinguished flaming arrows. I'm tempted to because I kind of like that sort of stuff. But I don't want to get the point the main point about sanctification lost in the details of ancient battles and armor. Let me just say briefly a little overview. He's obviously dressing a soldier. He's continuing the armor metaphor. Soldier fastens on his waist gear, puts on his chest armor, so the breastplate is, then shoes, 
takes up his shield. Next week we'll see the helmet and the sword. Paul's here depicting various aspects of a soldier's armor and armament. But it's not exhaustive. There are other things he could have mentioned but didn't. He selected these in particular. And he did so for a reason. Not because there is some unique connection between truth and the waste region of our bodies. Not because there's a unique connection between peace and feet. The connection lies elsewhere. There is one, but it's elsewhere. We've already seen Paul call this the spiritual armor of God. It's armor that God provides to his children. Well, now as he goes into a, just a little more detail about it, it becomes clear that it's not just armor that God provides, but it actually is, so to speak, God's personal armor. It belongs to him. There's a close connection between these elements of armor and the Lord himself. Paul's armor description is connecting back in many ways to Isaiah's description of the divine warrior come to defeat evil. The Greek translation of Isaiah 11 describes the Lord as having righteousness and truth girded around his waist. Isaiah 59 describes the Messiah coming with a breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation. Isaiah 52 describes the messenger, the feet of the messenger announcing the Messiah's coming as declaring the gospel of peace. Feet and peace are connected there. Paul looks back at that. He sees Isaiah describing and pointing to and talking about the warrior Messiah coming to fight. Describes him in these ways. And Paul takes those things, steals them from Isaiah, and clothes you and I in the same ones. That he does that on purpose. The effect is to say, catch this, it's as if he's saying, if you want to triumph in battle, you must become like the warrior God. If you want to stand in battle, become like the great Messiah. Become like Christ. Put on what He's put on. That's what He's saying. But really the command was in the passive from the very beginning, if you remember. So really let me change that just a little bit. Paul's saying, do you want to stand? Then come to God and pray, pray, pray that He will make you like Christ. That He will strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Or quote chapter 4 verse 24 that he will continually renew this new you in the likeness of God true righteousness and holiness it's the command to you that he's been talking about already before stand clothe yourself put on be strengthened in the Lord be made to look like him be made like him be sanctified that's what he's getting at that's what the whole book is getting at be covered, be covered in truth, be covered in righteousness, be covered in peace, and over all of that faith. The book of Ephesians is shot through with these things, all over the place. They come first from God to you, they come to you in His mighty working in the gospel. His truth and His righteousness and His peace comes to you and then you walk in a similar way as you were changed by that and they come out from you to others. Take truth for example. Just talk about that one. The truth of the glorious salvation in chapters 1 to 3 washes over you. 
gotten a hold of you and it changes you. You believe it and you therefore have become a lover of truth. That's what you are about. You put away falsehood and you speak truth to your neighbor. For we are members of one body. When you become like this, you love and you speak the truth to others and so protect the body and yourself from every wind of doctrine and cunning and craftiness in deceitful schemes, even and especially satanic schemes. We learn the truth. We build a community of truth. We are wrapped round in truth just like Christ is. And so we become equipped to stand against all falsehood that would drag us away from this Christ. See how that works? It's how we stand against this attack. Become wrapped round with the things that he's wrapped round in. Take righteousness. Same thing. He chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. It's chapter 1. One day we will stand before him utterly holy and blameless. How does he do that? Well, by saving us first. He's worked, remember chapter 4, he has worked that drastic change in us and he is continually working that change in us. Chapter 4, verses 22 to 24. Well, he's working it out that we would become people of righteousness and holiness. He shows us himself and he saves us, and then he changes us bit by bit, and he gives us a taste for God and his glorious righteousness so that we love it, and anything that diminishes that becomes less tasteful to us. It becomes distasteful to us. We don't want it. We look down on it. We're drawn to righteousness. He changes us to make us like himself. He clothes us in what he is clothed in, or peace. You stand gripped by peace, marvelously offered in the gospel. I can have peace with God. Man, I can have peace with God. I have peace with God. He has chosen me and made me his heir, his child, his chosen special portion and lot. And he values me highly. And you become a lover of that peace that has knit you together with him. You become a humble and gentle person, realizing that all of that has come from God to me. And you vehemently oppose all conflict in the body. Any attempt to split you off or others off, any attack of that sort will not strike home with you. You love peace. You've been captured by peace. You've put on peace. And over all of this, faith, you trust, you believe in, you rely on this great God who's worked all of this and has promised to do more still. You believe Him day by day because of what He's already done. You see the cross and what He's done there and you know that He is trustworthy to do more still. So you believe Him. It's just sanctification. Until we could study all of these things more deeply, I would offer that we have been for months. It's all being boiled down here into one very memorable image. You can think through, how do I equip, am I equipped for battle today? Well, am I wrapped up in truth and righteousness and peace and faith? 
Are those things and the great God behind them catch from my mind? If yes, then yes, I'm ready for battle today. And if no, I better gear up. Let's put it all in a little package that you can get your hands around. Day in, day out, you live in a war zone. You have a capable and cunning adversary. In this spiritual fight, he is aiming to tear you away from Christ and thereby diminish his glory and his kingdom and ruin your life. It's what he's after. He's good at it. Take it seriously. You must stand against that. And if you want to do that, you must be spiritually strengthened by this armor. Really, you must be sanctified. The gospel of Ephesians must grip you. The great God of this glorious gospel of grace must grip you, must cover you from head to toe. That's what you must put on every day. You must put on Christ. This is who He is. He is the epitome of truth and righteousness and peace and faithfulness. That's who He is. Be strengthened in Him in order to stand. Put Him on. Pursue it. Obey the command by pursuing that, by giving your heart to the Spirit today and every day. Doing it with other Christians. Praying, praying, praying together with the Bible open in front of you. Put this on me, Lord. Wrap this all around me. Protect me in this. Change me. That's how you are strengthened so as to stand. God has provided strengthening spiritual armor for you. You need it. Put it on. Please. Let me pray. God, the psalmist asked you to shine your face and save. To show yourself to your people and deliver them. You who are the shepherd of Israel. You are also the divine warrior on behalf of your people. So shine your face towards us by working in us to let us see you and your glory and your righteousness. Change us to become like you, to put you on. Lord, we need that care for your people by working that change in us and by continually working that change in us day after day. Thank you for your care and concern for us, Lord. You're a good shepherd. We love you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.